Right. No, I just I just had that moment where I annoyed myself, so I stopped it and started over. Okay. Because we're recording right now. <laughs> so bad at my job. I just start hitting buttons. I don't know. I can't vouch for the timing of things. But on today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, you never graduate the basics, but it's time for some of y'all to get your degree and start teaching them. Yep. Raise your hand if you love nerdy Bible questions. Ooh, we got our I hands do. up. I do. And if we can trust our Bible, how come they keep taking parts out of it? Well, how about we tell you? It's episode 59. Turn it up! Today's episode is hyperactively dedicated to global media outreach. Love these guys because they are reaching Christ from the computer screen. You can evangelize in your underwear now. That used to be um, very unpopular. Not to say we never did, but... <laughs> That's such a bad mental image, man. No, actually, so funny story about that. I took uh, I took one of my kids door-to-door one time, and they, I was like, I was just doing some door-to-door evangelism. They said, Dad, I want to go. I said, okay. So we go, we knock on the door, and this this old guy with, like, they were saggy whitey tighties. It was it was oh. a bad situation. And he answers the door, and he's like, hello? And of course, you know, I'm like, whatever, you just, you just start talking and pretend that there's nothing weird, and you just go for it. My son... <laughs> was just just eyes fixed on what was not normal and he was like dad what's happening dude pulls up pulling a walter white just accidentally yeah man oh my like, wow anyway global media outreach is uh they're they're a, a group that basically what they do is they they buy facebook ads uh, in other languages. Hmm. And then they, you know, and it'll be for a, a felt need type of thing. Like, do you need, you know, do you need freedom? Do you have depression issues? You're struggling with this. Are you suicidal? And they'll put them in, in Spanish and Portuguese and Farsi and, and uh, Lugandu and all of these things. Cause everybody in the world's looking on Facebook. And then when, when somebody clicks on it, then it's very upfront. It's like, Hey, we are Christians. We have hope in Christ. Here's, here's our basic message. And then when they click on that for more information, it sends it through a translator to us. And we can go ahead and share the gospel with people all over the world uh, when they're the ones that actually reached out. So I used to work with these guys. Um, I was like, Oh, this is such a cool thing. And so I signed up and I did the training and whatever. And then, you know, they wanted, they basically wanted a little more availability then uh, because they want they want the responses in a certain time and i was like well i don't, I don't have i don't have that sort of yeah. you know tethered to a screen or whatever but for people that are like we got a lot of people that are working at home in low pressure jobs and they can take five minutes you know away without not doing their jobs or something like that so it's just a great way to evangelize the world i remember one time i got to share the gospel with people on three continents in one day you know i was like this is pretty sweet so global media outreach if you want to get involved in the mission but getting on a plane is not something you can do physically or time-wise or whatever this is a great option great starting point so anyway thank you global media outreach for reaching the world through christ or for christ through uh some technological means that are available. Woot. Yeah. Hey, listen, guys. Uh, give us a, a rating on whatever platform you're listening. Spotify, Apple, whatever. Stitcher. I've never used Stitcher. Some of our guys use Stitcher. Okay. Um, you know, there's a there's a rating system, you know, five stars or whatever, and that really helps us out, helps the, uh, the, the word get out, helps disciples get made. And um, actually, this podcast is now around the world because my English-speaking partners in other countries and stuff, they're like, oh, you got a podcast? I want to listen. And I'm like... Are you sure? <laughs> They're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, why don't take a sample first, you know? Yeah. Anyway. All right. So today's dose of wisdom comes from Proverbs chapter four, verses 10 through 13. Let's get it. Proverbs four, 10 through 13. 
reads just like this. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. The book of Proverbs, man, written by Solomon, actually written and compiled by Solomon. He took some of it from other places and stuck it in the Bible for us. He was the son of King David, and when he was a young man taken over as king, he asked God for wisdom, and God was happy with that, and he gave it to him, and so Solomon had all this wisdom. And then he did the most loving thing anyone could possibly do. He wrote it down for us. And so for that, he deserves our eternal gratitude. And here in chapter four, basically what he's saying is, all right, look, I did my job. Now you do yours. What a thing to be able to say. You know what I mean? Like the, on, on one hand, it's awesome, right? I love it when I'm discipling somebody and I get to sort of graduate them. I get to tell them like, look, holler if you need anything, but you don't need me anymore, right? Here are the keys. Keep it between the lines. You know, call me if you get stuck somewhere. Now, my kids aren't out of the house yet, but I'm sure it's going to feel even better to, to say that after decades of investment in them, right? Like, like, you know, okay, I did everything I could. And then now you get to do it yourself. There must be a big sense of accomplishment in that, I would guess. Like I said, kind of awesome. On the other hand, it's pretty terrifying, right? Did I do enough? What did I do wrong? What opportunities did I miss? Maybe I didn't reinforce that thing enough and, and so on, right? You always second guess yourself. And we didn't do anything perfectly, so there's going to be a lot to second guess. But there's a point where you have no choice but to entrust somebody to the Lord and just kind of go hands off. It's a tough thing, though, like, because it's not, it's not really hands off. You, you, you still, I mean, unless you're dead, right? But you still want to be involved a little bit. The, the, like the same way the Sol- that Solomon has left us with the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, we leave our disciples or our kids with a foundation to build on. So it's hands off, but it's still a little bit of context, right? This proverb shows us that. It shows us kind of the ideal. It, it doesn't always happen this way, but what a beautiful moment when we get it, right? He, so l- listen to the way that, that we that he uh, recaps this. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. When you and if you run, you will not stumble. So he's saying, here's the totality of my investment in you, and you can have it all as you go. You're going to do great. I trust you, and I'm excited for you. And then he gives him kind of this one final push over the line with some instructions. He says, take hold of it. Do not let go. Guard her guard wisdom, for she is your life. In other words, trust your upbringing, adjust where you need to, make changes as they as the, the need arises. But if you hold on to what you've been taught, you're going to be okay. So obviously our minds go to parenting and stuff because like this moment is kind of the goal of parenting in a lot of ways. But let me make a point about discipleship here. And I, I want you guys to hear your pastors say this. This is the goal for us too. Our goal is that you would be disciples that can function in a devil-ruled world without direct oversight in difficult situations and and help others do the same. So you're not designed to be alone or isolated. God always wants you to have pastors, but the goal is that you be mature with a Christian skill set that allows you to be a self-feeder and repent of sin without being told to and have a vibrant prayer life and take advantage of evangelistic opportunities and, and you know serve the body of Christ skillfully and, and handle your money in God-honoring ways and 
go take opportunities to alleviate human suffering and help the poor and defend truth and you know grow baby believers into mature ones just like somebody did for you so the goal is that you would be mature enough to say to someone else what paul said in first corinthians 11 1 follow me as i follow christ right i'm not going to do it perfectly but i'll show you how this goes follow me as i follow christ and you would not have to say come to church with me and my pastor will show you how to follow christ Right? We want you to be equipped to do this yourself. Then we can run support for you, and we're happy to do that. But, you know, it's like, okay, so Mark 6, 37, right? The disciples are like, hey, Jesus, we got to give these guys something to eat. And he looks at him, he goes, you give them something to eat, right? What he was doing was he was calling them to maturity. He was saying, I've given you an investment. Maybe you don't understand the fullness of it, but go and use it, man. I trust you guys. You have what you need. So as, as a, an example of this, let's look at how Paul talked to Timothy, okay? I'm going to take three examples from 2 Timothy, and I want you to hear and hear the voice of a father giving the same encouragement to Timothy that Solomon gave to us in Proverbs 4. So 2 Timothy 1, 5-7, he says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. He says, you have what you need. I trust you. Go. 2 Timothy 2.2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right? You have what you need. Go use it. You've been given a lot. Go give it away. 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 7. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. He's saying, look, my investment in you has come to an end in the person-to-person ministry, right? So now, take it and run with it. So here's my encouragement to you guys. Work hard to be the kind of disciple that someone can say this to, okay? Whether we're your pastors and we get to say it to you or somebody else because you live somewhere else, right? Be trustworthy with the Christian life and then go share it. Don't stall out in the phase where you're accumulating information. You're gonna be doing that the rest of your life anyway, but consider yourself mature and act as such. I was uh, in, my, in some of my musical training. I was, I was in you know voice lessons, classical voice lessons, right? And I was like 13, 14, and so my voice was doing all kinds of freaky deaky stuff, right? And my vocal teacher, my voice teacher, he, he was this British guy, and he says to me, because um, I, I didn't, I didn't want to sing low because my voice would crack a lot. I didn't have that that developed yet, and so he was trying to develop it, and I was kind of shying away from it. And he he says to me in this this like dainty British accent, he goes, "You are a young man, and you should start thinking of yourself as such." And then he just played and said, "Let's go," and that always stuck with me. You know, it's like this is the reality. Catch up mentally and operate in who you are, right? So consider yourself to be mature and act as such. We trust you guys. We trust the work of Christ in you. And if you're not there yet, we'll get you there. Okay? Let us help. One of the ways that we're going to get you there is by answering some of your Bible questions. Because we got some. Woo! Yeah. So you can write in your questions. You can uh, send them to office at graceandtruthcommunity.com. You can come up and talk to us. Or, you know, if we are your pastors, you can just shoot us a call or a text or pull us aside on a Sunday or whatever um, and send your questions in. I love Bible questions because while there are themes to them, it's like, yeah, okay, we're going to see some of the same stuff again and again. Man, there's, like, people just see stuff, you know? And and then the next time you read your Bible, you see something different. It's just like this never-ending 
variation on other. I read Romans again on mm. my uh, on my trip. I was like, I don't know anything. You know what I mean? Like, how many millions of times have you and I read Romans? And I, I just read it again because the reading plan I used to be on, I was in one chapter of Romans a day. So every sixteen days, I'm reading Romans, and so I'm reading it twice a month, right? I did that for years, and so um, I, I've read Romans a trillion and a half times. But I haven't read it in a couple of months, and I just went back and read it kind of with fresh eyes, and I was like, dude, I'm, this is all hitting me like it's new. Yeah. So you wind up with new questions. Yeah. Well, a project I want to do is uh, I want to go through Paul's logical thought and see if I can trace the entire thing nice. through the book of Romans, Ooh. kind of like in a, a, a Tom Schreiner. You're going to need a yeah. scroll for that. I, I, I got a feeling it's going to be like, I'm going to, my, my office or my, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to build a little home office or something, and it's going to look like a... It's going to look like, you know, like those crazy uh, tinfoil hat kind of conspiracy theorist right. guys that like have the lines With the and the strings connecting yes, exactly. the thumbtacks. It's going yeah. be. You know what I did, though? I went through First Timothy, and this is just recent, and I decided I was going to do it with all of, um, you know, all the epistles. Yeah. I went through First Timothy, and I said, okay, what is Paul's, um, I mean, what is Paul's theology? But like, specifically, what is his theology proper? What is go- uh, What is Paul's? idea of god and oh, so yeah. i just listed out everything that he says or hints at or assumes mm-hmm. that would talk about the character of god and it was and then i stood back at the end of that and i look at the picture of god in first timothy and it's just like whoa yeah you know that's that's who paul was seeing when he was writing this that is a worthwhile endeavor oh my goodness yeah that's yes. i think that's going to be like the uh, the uh, my lifelong project is to just go through each book of the bible and say what does it say about god what does it say what does it hint at what does it mm-hmm. assume Right. Yeah. Incredible. Good. Yeah. But as far as Bible questions that came into us on uh, our uh, whatever, whatever we call them, this is only episode 59. I can't be expected to understand our own structure yet. This is and that's so that's what they're called. This is and that's. Yes. All right. Well, why don't, why don't you go ahead and hit us? What do we got? All right. So for this is and that's uh, this week, we have a question from a concerned citizen. Justin and Ben, is this what you guys are always like when you work together? <laughs> no, no. Sometimes it's much worse. Yeah. And sometimes it gets a lot more spicy. Yeah, yeah. You guys are actually getting the toned down version because there's a lot of pastoral ministry that happens behind closed doors and um, the door is closed for a reason. So, yeah. Are we always this hyper and loud? Yes. I would say that yeah. this is probably... Uh, not a calm place. I mean, there are times where we're both just focused. Yeah. But no, it's not, it's not like we go into a different mode when the mics come on or something. Not really. Dude, we've had, okay, guys, listen, we've, we've had um, pastor meetings or staff meetings or whatever, where we're laughing so hard that people in the room can't even control their body functions, right? Like that's, that's a relatively normal occurrence around here. There, a couple of weeks ago, we were, um, we were in the office having just our regular Monday admin meeting. You're there, I'm there, our assistant is there, and we got hopped up about something, and we were we were button heads, right? And uh, it, it was just some like administrative. I remember what it was. Yeah, it, it was just some administrative thing. Like, should we do it this way or that way? And we were trying to debate all the the you know relative merits of this, and we got so out of control that I, I remember at one point I was just like, "Why?" And yeah. I just yelled that, and then somebody from the ladies' Bible study runs in yes. and like busts. It was like, "Are you guys okay?" <laughs> Yes. We, we looked at her like, yeah, we're, we're just we're just making yeah. a decision. We kind of view our relationship like the Senate, right? The great debate, you know, <laughs> pre-C-SPAN when, when yeah. you could actually get in there and, and, you know, call each other's names and still have a 
have a cup of coffee or whatever yeah. afterwards. I don't have it, to be the Democrat in this analogy, do I? No, you don't. Do I have to be the Republican? I, Those are two bad options these days. Uh, uh, let's move I'm on. Like, yeah, bad yes. political move. Yes, yeah. we are. Um, we we are always like this. Yes. So you you guys actually have an advantage because you only have to listen to us an hour at a time by your choice. <laughs> Right? Yeah. You should feel terrible for us. Yeah. We have to we, listen to each other. We can't get away from us. Oh, man. All right. So, from Daniel, or da- yeah, Danielle, excuse me. Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons, didn't receive a blessing, but his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, did. Doesn't that make 13 tribes of Israel instead of 12? Why are we always talking about the 12 tribes? All right. Good, good question. So Jacob, who was renamed Israel after uh, he actually beat Jesus in a wrestling match, and then Jesus kind of cheated a little bit and popped his hip out of socket. <laughs> Technically, it would be the angel of the Lord, maybe, you know, the pre-incarnate God and Son. But yeah, yeah, he wasn't named Jesus yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the pre-incarnate appearance of God the Son committed first-degree assault on Jacob. <laughs> While Jacob was running for his pathetic little life from his brother, who he screwed over in the worst imaginable way, and then Jesus pops out from behind a rock or something, fights him, and they fight all night. I'm just like, what kind of time you got to kill? Where you're just like, oh, some stranger, let's wrestle. And it was clearly a pretty friendly thing. I don't. There's some stuff about that story I don't understand. And so then yeah. Jacob gets gets the messenger of the Lord, who we now know in New Testament terms was you know Jesus before he was named Jesus. Gets him in a, in a submission hold. I picture kind of a half Nelson pulling his other arm back, right? And Jacob says, uh, so then, then the, the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord says, let me go. And Jacob, knowing that he's wrestling with a divine messenger, says, I will not let you go until you bless me. <laughs> like, the guts on this dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I've deserved nothing but curses, but I want you to bless me. And so he says, all right. So, you know, twist it up in this contorted position. Okay, your name will no longer be Jacob. It will now be Israel, for you have, which means man wrestles God. For you have wrestled God and have won. And then God somehow slips his hand out, touches Jacob's hip, dislocates his hip socket. It's like, bah! And so he hops around for the rest of his life. Called, you know, what's your name? Hop along. Just kidding. It's Israel, right? So then the blessing is that he would have 12 um, uh, 12 tribes come from him, essentially. So he has 12 sons. Well, now there's a problem because 11 of his sons suck and they took uh, Joseph, who was the, the youngest son at the time, I think, and sold him into slavery. They wanted to kill him, but they decided to go easy on him, so they sold him into slavery. He winds up down in Egypt. Now, I do, I do have to stick up for Benjamin, though. Why? Because I don't think Benjamin was part of the uh, Sell's brother into slavery. No, no, no. He he came along later. Right? Yeah. yeah. So just got just, just got I just got to defend the namesake. Yeah. You, you know gotta, what I'm saying? <laughs> got to show some solidarity. <laughs> the the Benji's got to stick together, man. That's right. right. So so Joseph winds up down in uh, down in Egypt, and he's kind of running the joint after a while there. Yeah. And he gets married and has two sons. Well, there's a big reuniting that happens decades later, and there's a blessing that goes out to all of the 11 sons that stayed together in in the land of Canaan. So Jacob, Israel, blesses his 11 sons, and then when it's time to bless Jacob, the 12th son, instead he blesses, sorry, and when it's time to bless Joseph, the other son, instead he blesses Joseph's two sons. So now we don't have 12 blessings. We got 13 blessings that went out. The question is, why are there only 12 tribes if there's 13 blessings? The answer to this in this convoluted narrative mathematical schema that we've just laid out here, the, the answer is relatively simple, and it's that when in Joshua, I believe it's 13. Let me just look this up real quick. Um, 
in I think it's Joshua thirteen where they're handing out the um, the allotments, the land allotments to yeah. uh, Israel. There was one tribe, namely the tribe of Levi, that did not get a portion of land. Right, so they were supposed to be the priestly tribe, and they got forty-eight cities. I think it was that were just for them, but they didn't have an allotment themselves. So there were twelve territories, uh, and Levi, the tribe of Levi, did not have a territory. They were supposed to be scattered throughout all of the tribes in order to be a priestly class, in order to make sure that the relationship between God and His covenant people was well tended to. So. Mm-hmm. Joshua, maybe it's, uh, I will find this. This is going, yeah, there you go, 1333. Yeah. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses did not give an inheritance. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is their inheritance, as he has promised to them, or as he had promised to them. So, I mean, am I, I, w- I want to get to the, the connection to the, the priesthood of every believer here, but am I leaving anything out as far as the Old Testament story there? No, I don't think so. Okay. Which is also interesting because because then you also see Ephraim or Ephraim also being used as a uh, as a um, God will even refer to Ephraim as as a, as as a, as a name for all of Israel at various the, points the, the northern tribe yeah yeah the northern tribe yeah right? so when Israel split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah Ephraim was the biggest tribe in the north so the yeah. prophets would just refer to the northern kingdom sometimes yeah. poetically as Ephraim so yeah, he was. You, Top dog, and you see that even in, in some of the very um, emotionally emotional language in Hosea chapter eleven, for example. Yes. How can I forget you, O Ephraim? And he was one of the grandsons that got the blessing yep. of a son. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's not that he just this was a this was a big deal. You know Ooh. that that it was a big deal in, not only in the life of of Joseph, but to have his two sons blessed and mm-hmm. as, as essentially brought up, right? Yeah, promoted. Totally. Really? Yeah. I mean, in, into they were promoted into covenant headship, which yes. is pretty cool. But I, and I just thought of this. That was that was when Jacob was given the blessings and he crossed his hands, right? So yeah. you've got Joseph's two sons. Manasseh was the firstborn, and then Ephraim was the secondborn. And so you're supposed to put your right hand on the firstborn to give the blessing of the right hand. So Jacob crosses his hands, and Joseph is like, no, 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 don't do that, Dad. You got it. Like, this one's the, the firstborn. And he says, no, 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 I'm going to give the firstborn's blessing to the youngest. And there's this theme in the Bible of yep. God blessing the weaker one. God bless- so here you've got not even a son but a grandson. Promoted mm-hmm. to the level of son, and then promoted to the level of firstborn son. Yeah, right. And and all Israel, at least ten of the twelve tribes, is known by his name. Yeah. So look at how God exalts the lowly, right? So there's a lot of gospel conversations to have in that absolutely that, that arena. But then there's the issue of the Levites, right? They had no, they, they did have cities that were set aside for them, but they didn't have a territory that was just theirs. In other words, you could say that they were wanderers, which is what the word Hebrew actually means. And so in the New Testament. It gets picked up in like, you know, Romans 3, for example, that, hey, listen, not all of Israel is true Israel. Like there are Hebrews that are not ethnic Jews, meaning there are people wandering around that don't have any inheritance of ethnic Israel. And yet God is um, God is mediating his relationship with the world through them. And that gets applied in first Peter to the church. He says, you are a, 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 a nation of priests. That's mm-hmm. what you are. So you guys are, you, church, you are the Levites running around connecting people to God, right? You got the keys yeah. to the kingdom. What you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and so on. And so it's like, you know, Christ is the connection between man and God, but you are the body of Christ. Now go connect people to God. Speak to, you know, and, and pray for them. So you're speaking to God on behalf of man, interceding for them, and you're speaking to man on behalf of God, 
that's a priestly function. You're the go-between. So there's sort of a, a theme that develops with Levi there where they didn't get an inheritance and that actually, so they're not counted among the 12 in terms of, of territory, but that actually um, uh, sets a trajectory in motion in the narrative that we play a part in and get to fulfill that. Well, and it's also interesting that, you know, that not only was their, their portion was God. That, that in and of itself... I mean, even if, even me. if we bring that forward to us, our portion is God, right? Yeah. And and their dependence, right? They were dependent, I and mean, this goes even for for you and me as we, because we're dependent upon the Lord for even just our our homes and things like yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah. Through through his through the gifts of his saints, right? Mm-hmm. And how God says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna totally take care of you guys mm-hmm. as you guys are devoted wholly towards ministering to yep. my people." And that, and it, and it's not going to be through land, right? And it's not going to be through you know a, a great a great wealth of riches that that you can you know that you can rest on. Instead, you're going to be resting on me and what I'm providing. Listen, I think I deserve a private jet because I work really hard. So if you're if you're squashing that, then then your theology is bunk because I was created to be a prince. Okay. Uh, I no. listened to a Creflo Dollar sermon and no, he explained sorry. it very well. No, he didn't. He, he did didn't. not. No, he was wrong. No, he was way wrong. Oh, yeah. So, like a gospel of prosperity would, would be a bad thing for pastors to claim for themselves. Uh, yes. Oh, wow. actually, okay. So, I kid you not. I was in South Africa, right? And I remember watching. Um, I, we were just looking at, at. I was doing some kind of. I wasn't doing market research, but we were just getting involved in like different churches in the area. I kid you not. There is this pastor who has this huge church. He sits on a golden throne <sighs> while he preaches. Right, and then the guy next to him sits on a nice wooden chair. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is in those like you know is in those plastic chairs that you buy at Walmart when they have the pews and everything like that. Guy rolls up to church in a Beamer, a new Beamer in South Africa. In South Africa, and then and he has the, uh, ooh, he has the audacity to to like say, I'm so blessed, I'm so thankful to the Lord. For he has set me apart, and I'm like going set you apart for what, dude? Yeah, exactly. You, you, you don't know how right you yeah, are. <laughs> yeah, because because it, it's going to be coming fast and hard when it comes. Condemnation it is, is yeah. just man. If if there's a if if, and I'm going to put that as a paper thin mm. if, if there's anything that is not wood hand stubble, dude, it is going to not go well for you at all. So here's my question: What? implements or weapons are we biblically allowed to use during the church discipline process Ooh, (laughs) (laughs) that just just makes me feel violent but you know on a on a more on a less audacious level um there's another error that gets made with this priesthood thing and we're way beyond the scope of the question now but it's probably important to bring out that that's one of the errors of of uh, medieval catholicism that the reformers were trying to fix yeah. is they they say well in the old testament there were there was a priestly class that's how god wants things done among his people yep. and so they've got priests and that's a that's a total yeah. missing of the trajectory of the fulfillment of levi because peter says you are y'all yeah. are the priests there's not a priestly class now and and so pastors are not priests right there is some overlap for example you know if uh, let, let's say that, that we take uh, uh sunday the lord's day as our sabbath practice in our culture right okay so we sabbath on sunday well you and i work on sunday and just like the levites had to work on the sabbath so there's some overlap there like you mentioned god supports us through the work of the ministry paul pretty much takes care of that for us in first corinthians 9 and so on he says look take care of these guys are doing the work of the ministry so there's some conceptual overlap there but pastors are not priests we are not the fulfillment of the levitical system agreed every christian is 
Yes. Well, and and you know, Paul even picks up a lot of those themes in Ephesians, right, chapter two, that that, that out of the two he's made one man, yes. and then and nice. and then as and then we act, you know, we as we are built into this living house, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Peter picks up that same language. It's interesting how both of them in 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 their various letters are picking up that same language that yeah. you are priests in. Both, you know, we're we're all priests in this temple, mm-hmm. right? And again, and and even as Paul's picking up, for example, the roles of pastors, right? What's your and my role to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? Yeah, right. right. It's not that we it's we don't we don't perform necessarily some kind of a mediatorial, you know, blessing between between God and His people. Yeah. I mean, there there are ways where we meet, minister the word, absolutely, and yeah, but we, 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 we serve all get communion. To yeah. We pray for them as their yes. pastors. I mean, there's a lot that happens, but that's. That's a that's a structure within equality, yeah, right? Exactly. So there's like the old term for this is uh, sacerdotalism. So in in a sacerdotal mm-hmm. system, the priest does your approaching to God for you, yeah. right? And that's and, and that's what Peter and Paul, being raised as Jews, they were familiar with that. You take your sac- your, your offering to the priest. You confess your sins in front of yeah. the priest. He goes and represents God for you. That's mm-hmm. another thing that got carried over into Catholicism. Whereas mm-hmm. the New Testament's like, look. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. You are the temple of the living God. This is 1 Corinthians 6. It says it about the individuals. Um, Back to Ephesians 2, like you said, this is us as a uh, church, right? We are the house of God, 1 Peter 1 and 2. We are the temple of God. So... That, that whole sacerdotal system yeah. where, where you've got a mediator, I like that word you use there, where you've got a mediator, now Christ is our mediator. Amen. And that's it. We all get to approach him. Yeah, exactly. And then the you get great the- great high priest. I think yes. that was written somewhere. Yeah. And, and I think it was a book called Hebrews. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Somebody so, was familiar with the Old Testament system. Oh, yes. All right. So, I, so yeah, that's the- that's the whole thing about the Levites and 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 the tribes. I mean, we could go off on a bazillion more rabbit trails, but so much fun. I do like the idea, dear listener, if you are in Christ. You can also minister. You do not like. Here's the thing. I got, I'll just say this. Sometimes when I, I I'll go to to dear wonderful wonderful saints' homes who are hosting me and my family for dinner, and they might ask, "Hey Ben, would you, would you mind saying the blessing?" I think they're giving a, a, some honor to sure. the guest, right? Yeah. But sometimes and, and I'm we like, lo- we love doing that. Yeah. But what's the motivation? Exactly. Right? right. It's like okay. Well, I just want. I, and I sometimes I'll even say, well, you know, I I want you to know that that that. There's nothing special about this voice that gets anything yeah. more done here. You know, you could certainly pray to your heavenly father and ask for the blessing on the food too. You know what I mean? Oh man, know. my buddy Keith, he's yeah. a pastor and he got asked at a family holiday or something to pray and they, yeah. they clapped afterwards. Ooh! Yeah, he was like, I wanted to shrink into a corner and die. Yeah. He was just like, what? I'm, not, yeah. I'm not a circus monkey, dude. I was yeah. approaching the holiness of the throne of God. You're clapping for me. It was just like this yeah. messed up, but he was the professional, well, right? And I will say this, though. There have been times where, you know, you're, where you're praying, right? And the, 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 you know, the Spirit is bringing the Scripture to mind, and you're mm-hmm. praying through all that. And, and I've had people come, oh, man, I just love how you pray. And I'm like, yeah. okay, here's, what, here's how I pray. <laughs> You see this thing? It's called the Bible. Yeah. And it's just in here, and then it comes out. It gets in the head, and it comes out the lips. But it's weird for people to hear somebody pray from the heart, right? Because most people don't do that, at least out loud. Which, to be honest, there's there's parts of it that, I mean, I don't know if you feel the same way. I don't like it sometimes because it's very personal, right? Yeah. And so to do that in front of people, I do because it's they they learn to pray by listening to their pastor pray. Yep. But I understand why most people don't just... Get into it, right? Yep. What was that you told me the other day where you were like, somebody, a long time ago, somebody knocked on you for like um, 
your prayers being too long. It's like, hey, we don't need to know how devoted you are to Christ or something. Oh, Just- I was saying, I would, I would, I would, we would pray before our meals, and some people said, man, man, you do your morning devotions for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but that was actually, honestly, that was even part of my family tradition. Like, I remember being at my at my grandparents' table when, and every meal time we prayed. For our family, you just go for it. It's just like down the list, right down the list, yeah. and so we expected that. Now, our, thankfully, our food never got cold or anything like that. But but it was they were heartfelt, and that was when my grandfather and my grandmother. Um, that's when they prayed. Yeah, you know, and they beautiful thing. They still do. I mean, mm-hmm. I <laughs> there's times I go there. My grandmother, who shout out, you're never going to hear this, grandma. But um, but man, hundred and one years old, still prays like a boss. Go baby, yeah, I love it. So love it, yeah. Anyway, okay, so next question from Sunday Morning Saint. Mm. <laughs> Luke 23, 17 is in brackets in my Bible. Why? Why is it in brackets in my Bible? Why are there asterisks telling me something about, you know, more recent more uh, more recent documents and things like that. What is yeah. going on there? Well, and I so we got this question from somebody on on Sunday because I was preaching through the, uh, in, in that section of Luke, and hers was in brackets, and her husband's text didn't even have it in there. Yeah. Right. So we have three different translations here because I saw this this uh, I saw this question and I was like, okay, so we're going to do some. So you got the ESV, which is going to handle it one way. I got the NASB, which is going to handle it another way. And then I'm seeing what the LSB did here. Okay, so the LSB put it in brackets like the NASB did. Okay, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. How, how do the verses go in Luke 23 there? Okay, so in, in, the, in the English Standard Version, there is a verse 16, and then there is a verse 18. Now, in the bottom, there is a note saying some manuscripts add verse 17, and then they add, add the text that yeah. is... In brackets. Yeah, let me go full Bart Ehrman for a second. That's it! You can't trust your Bible! See? It's been changed! Not true. Not true. I don't know why I made him sound like a goat just now. (laughs) He's got a high-pitched voice and it annoys me. That was the only way I could think to impersonate him. So, anyway. Yeah, okay. So, this is not the only place where there's brackets in your Bible. Yeah. Or missing verses or whatever, right? In fact, the most egregious example to some people is the end of the Lord's Prayer, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. It's in brackets or in the ESV. Not even there. Yeah. And then there's some folks that get to like say the ending of the book of Mark. It's <laughs> like, like nine verses or something, yeah, isn't it? It's like, wait, wait, there's a whole section. Yeah, missing, there's a whole section right? in, in you know, brackets, in brackets are gone. right? Or or even some of even probably one of the more favorite stories of Jesus, right? When he's dealing with the, oh, with the yeah. woman caught in sin. In, in John nine. Yeah. yeah. John it's, eight. Yeah, I think it's John eight. John yeah. eight, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh here's what's going on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a term, and then we'll back up and explain how this applies, okay? The term is intellectual honesty. All right. Now, God has decided not to put the Bible on gold plates and have the original just sit there for everybody to consult. Now, we might think, boy, that would be awfully convenient, though, right? And there are some religions that claim this. I'm obviously referring to Mormonism, but... Um, the, Which, the, by the way, you can't find the gold yeah, they're, they're buried on the hill Kumora. You just can't excavate it because it's a sacred site. So they're in upstate New York. Just trust us. Oh, really? Is it protected by the angel Moroni as well? You can't find out because you can't approach it with a shovel, I guess. I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah. But Islam does the same thing. They say, hey, 
there is one perfect copy of the Quran. You don't get to like, and the hardcore Muslims will say you don't get to translate it. You don't get to update it. You, like nothing. Yeah. And so you can have a a total. Well, the Quran even has a, a you know history of textual variants, but like you you can basically broad brush have total agreement on everything that is in the text. Let me just point out, look at the cost that it comes at, right? You're yeah. not allowed to ask questions of the text beyond a certain point. You're not allowed to um, to chase down any doubts and get satisfaction for your, your mind or your faith with information from the text because you just have to stop asking questions and comply. Now, in Christianity, we have intellectual honesty as a, as a value of ours where we say, no, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We want your yep. brain involved in this stuff, right? So what happened was... Uh, God decided that that he was going to preserve the text of Scripture throughout all of the various ups and downs of of you know history and there are times where people have monkeyed with the text and there are times where the Bible has been spread out so far that you've got different um, different even manuscript traditions where it's like okay this was a copy of that was a copy of that was a copy of that and then over 2,000 miles away they had a manuscript and they copied that copied that copied that and then you wind up down the line you know, after hundreds of years and the end results don't really look all that much like each other in some verses, right? And these are all very small variations we're talking about, but they get noticeable at a certain point. So, yeah. And, and, and these variations, dear listener, I want you to understand this. The, the variations that we're talking about really do not touch on any major theology of Christendom. I mean, there's a few variants, but, but I don't, I, I think there's a, for the most part, if you look at the various textual traditions that we're talking about, they do not negate the the very the the, the theology that we have. Well, okay, yeah. so let's let's rabbit trail on this for a second because, Ooh, like, right. when there's when there's a like, what counts as a variant? And this is kind of the old thing for textual criticism, right? So, if you have if you have one manuscript written in what's called Greek unseals, which is all capital letters, and then you have another one written in minuscules, which is all lowercase letters. Every single letter is a variant in those texts. And yeah. so they, they got to catalog it because it's scientific and they, you know, they got to like make sure that this stuff is all documented, but there's no difference in the actual text, but there's all these variants. And so that's yeah. why these, these guys like Bart Ehrman can come out and say, there are more variations than there are words. And it's like, that sounds really impressive in front of a college classroom of freshmen, but what a stupid thing to say. Yeah. And when you're talking about different, um, like Greek was spread over the whole world, you got different grammar systems. And so if yeah. somebody's translating something, like to put this in English terms, you'll have, a, you'll have a, um, somebody that would put a period where somebody else might put a comma. Well, that's a variant. So what? <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's, that's 99% of what we're talking about here. Um, but then there are some that are very substantive. For Certainly. example, the end of Mark that you mentioned. Yeah. You know, you take that out. Well, now all of a sudden, the snake handlers got nothing to lean on. That's that that's a true. doctrinal issue. Yeah, and that's also probably why we use, for example, the rule of faith, right? In other words, we look at the whole of Scripture and what does it teach. Mm-hmm. And you, it, it's it's not wise to build a foundational theology just based upon one particular yeah. passage. Yeah. So as we're actually in a much better place to answer this question now than we have been for the last two thousand years, because as science gets better, as the world gets kind of smaller and more interconnected, you've got more um, uh, excavation, you've got more discoveries happening, which means we have a lot more manuscripts. And you like one one thing that was really common uh, that would happen, which is where these variations would come from. Sometimes is you would basically have guys that would translate the Bible and they would have study notes, right? And yep. so they'd put them out in the margins. They call it a gloss. They, you'd put yep. it out in the margins, and then. 
that manuscript gets carried by a scribe over to a different country and a different culture and a different language where they they write out their Bibles differently and they weren't familiar with this process. So now they've got these marginal notes and they think, oh, well, paper's expensive. These guys forgot a portion, so they put it in the margin. They'll just go ahead yeah. and throw that right in the text. So the Lord's Prayer is a good example of this. What happened with that one we know now was that they were reading that in liturgical uh, fashion in the churches. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this is in whatever language, right? Uh, actually, this was in Greek. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the scripture. Then, as a matter of liturgy, as a matter of corporate prayer, they would interject some worship and say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So they would put that in the margin. Well, somebody said, oh, well, we're copying the manuscript. They left that out. We're going to put it in the... In, in the actual yeah. text. Well, then people grab hold of that authoritative manuscript, translate it, and before you know it, you've got... It's part of the tradition. It, it's part of the tradition. Yeah. So then we discover older manuscripts and we say, wait a second, this part wasn't in there. And you got to kind of historically reconstruct what happened there. Yeah. But you got two options once you find that. You, I mean, we, we, are, we are now dealing with the fact that God has decided that he's going to be okay with people making mistakes within certain boundaries. Well, especially since he said, hey, you guys, oh, sinful yet redeemed ones, are going to be declaring the gospel, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so once once we realize that people have made mistakes and God has allowed some of those over time to sneak into the text, mm-hmm. we got two options. We can either pretend it didn't happen and keep the text the same, yeah. or we can have some, here's my term, intellectual honesty, Yes, and we can put some brackets around it and say, this was not part of the inspired Holy Spirit uh, directed Theanustas God breathed text. Mm -hmm. You know it, you love it. It's in there, but we want you to know what was in the originals. That's an honest thing to do. And personally, I appreciate it. It used to throw me off, but now I'm like, you know what? Given the situation, what else would you do? I appreciate the approach. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's helpful to have that because then you're not, and, and, and this may sound like we're trying to, to this is their first time hearing this. I remember when I first heard this kind of stuff. It's disconcerting. It is. You're like, going, Emma, is my Bible, can I really trust my Bible, mm-hmm. right? But to be fair, yes, you can. In fact, with all of the textual evidence that has recently come up, you can actually trust it more, more. because the the preponderance of the evidence, in particular with the passages that, that we see in in, in early manuscripts, right? In other words, these are manuscripts that are closer to the actual writing of the original document, right? They're not they're not they're not ones that were, you know, ten thousand years later or Yeah, they're not like they're that, not Byzantine right? or something. Yeah. Yes, that is true, right? They're not Textus Receptus. For those of you who are Bible nerding out right now, those are later traditions. Those are ones that have been preserved for a very long time versus some some manuscript traditions. For example, um, I believe it's Carthage was a big scriptorium mm-hmm. at, at a point. A, a cop, basically, it was a human copy machine for, for, um, for the scriptures. And yet Carthage fell at some point, and that meant that all scripture copying stopped. But they found they they found manuscripts in Carthage that didn't have, for example, Mark the Mark long, 16, Mark 16, 10 through, 10 through, whatever, 10 through yeah. whatever, right? And so that was a that was a snapshot in time that was closer to the original writing of the book of Mark. And so what do you do with that? Well, if it was closer, it's most likely the text that actually was written in the book of Mark. And, you know, how did the longer ending of the book of Mark, you know, happen? I mean, there's, there's probably a bazillion different theories. Was it a well-intentioned 
priest who was uncomfortable with the with the and they were very afraid yeah. you know um, period period end of book you know and, and okay i get that which i find interesting though is that mark has this pattern right and i'm totally gonna rabbit trail just for a second do it okay so mark has this pattern right jesus does something some kind of miracle he teaches something and then the crowd responds that is over and over and over and over in the book of mark you can read it that's why you see immediately you see all these yeah. various words because and the crowd like, responds with yeah. more faith than the disciples that's exactly, another interesting theme right? wrapped up in there yeah and so and and if and if we understand tradition correctly, Mark is probably Peter's gospel. Yeah, Mark, is, you know, and so it's Peter, right? If, even if you read Acts chapter two when he's preaching, he's in their face all the time. Jesus did something. What are you going to do about it? Jesus did something. The, what are the what are the what do the crowds do? About I see it, where right? you're going now. And so okay. Jesus now all of a sudden you have this. Jesus rose from the dead. Bye. And it's it's almost like the ending to ending to the movie Inception, right? Where there's that little yeah the dreidel the, the dreidel that's just like moving, and you're like, did it move? Did it not? Yeah. It's designed, in my opinion, to to basically follow right after our gospel call. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? It's this? an implicit imperative, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I was looking at you there for a second, saying, "Where are you going with this?" But that's that's a great point, right? Yeah. It, it actually fits into the structure without. Which the is end. why the epilogue doesn't seem to fit with mm-hmm. the rest of the text because it's 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 almost like. It's almost like trying, someone's trying to make sense of that. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, but again, that's me. That's Ben. You don't necessarily have to believe that in order to be a, oh, to it's be a good point, though. I mean, I, and, and there's manuscript evidence is in our day and time is a beautiful thing because if you want to, you can just go and look at it. And that's the thing. There is, there is like your, your point that we can trust it more now than we could even before. Oh, yeah. Because if we would ask these questions 300 years ago, we wouldn't have the same ability to answer it with, yeah. with data. But now Christians, non-Christians are contributing to this this field of, of textual criticism of the biblical text and other documents as well. Yeah. And it's all out there. And if you, yeah. you want to go and look at it, there's nothing hidden. And yeah. I just, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, okay. So then um, I'm going to, I'm going to teach him another like really weird word or weird ooh. term. Check it out, guys. Oxyrhynchus papyri. You ever heard of the Oxyrhynchus papyri? I know that's a weird one, right? So my, my point here, where I'm going with this whole thing, and then I'll back up and get you there. My point is that this that, that our our understanding of what was in the original text keeps getting confirmed over and over and over again. Yes. So you got this whole issue of like the Dead Sea Scrolls with the Old Testament. How do we know we got the Old Testament right? Well, 1900 years after our last manuscript, they find the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it's like exactly the same as what's in our Hebrew text hmm. of the Bible. So we're like, okay, we're good on that one. But it happened with the New Testament also, because there were these guys in, what I forget what the city's called now, but at the time it was called Oxyrhynchus, and it was in Egypt. And they were doing this excavation of this tomb, right? This is, I think this is in the year 1900. Hmm. I think it was right there. I could be wrong about that part. Um, so... They're, they're doing this excavation of this tomb, and you know Egyptian tombs, they got all these riches in them and all this stuff, right? Because you bury your pharaohs and your, your bury your pharaohs and your important people with, you know, fancy stuff. So they're in this room, and there's all these treasures and everything, and then back on that side of the room, there's a door, and they were like, ah, I wonder what's behind that door. And so they go over to the door, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in the way. Well, one of the things that was in the way was some uh, stuffed alligators. All right, big or crocodiles. I mean, big honking, huge Nile River crocodiles, and they're stuffed and they're dead and they're stiff. So these guys, these two guys, these archaeologists, they grab one at the head, one at the tail. They grab these stuffed alligators, and as they're moving them, they brush one of them and, and cut it along some. I think it was stone on the wall, and they cut open the stuffed alligator, and they were like, "Whoops, uh oh, that's bad," you know. But they start looking inside of there, and it's full of manuscripts, New Testament manu- papyrus manuscripts, right? 
and not only New Testament papyrus manuscripts, which are now the, some of the oldest ones we've got, but also Greek grammar textbooks from Koine Greek from the time of the writings of these manuscripts. Dang. Yes. So not only do we have the manuscripts now, we know how they were taught Greek in order to, like, yeah. all of the rules that we think about, like, um, when we're arguing with Jehovah's Witnesses, well, the indefinite article's not there, and it could say Jesus was a God, and we're like, no, because of Caldwell's rule, and it's blah, 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 and that's in the first chapter of my Greek textbook, and you're an idiot, and, you know, that kind of stuff. We have it now. Like, yeah. it's, it's the, I mean, they don't call it Colwell's rule. We came up with that term, but yeah. it's, like, all right there. So all the, the, the point to all of this is the, our, our, the trustworthiness of the Bible keeps getting confirmed over and over again and not just by Christians. So it's yeah. very, very trustworthy. And, and and if you're looking for something to... Kind of, if you're looking for some non-Bible uh, nerd kind of uh, help with this, uh, one of the books I found really, really helpful was The Case for the Real Jesus by Lee Strobel. Say, he, say it slower. The Case for the Real Jesus uh-huh. by Lee Strobel. He goes through and, and he's interviewing... Uh, he's, he's interviewing Jewish historians in Israel talking about these various manuscripts, and they're saying they are absolutely not forgeries. Yeah, they they're are authentic. absolutely authentic. And they're even saying they there is more evidence that these are historically accurate than than not. I think that was Strobel's yeah. best book. And they I totally and yeah. and 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 they say they say, yo, this is totally factually accurate. It's kind of funny because then they go, Yeah, we don't believe it, but if we <laughs> right. we don't believe in Jesus, but yeah. there's no arguing about what happened in the gospels. There's a lot of value know? to non Christian verification, right? Yeah. But um another another one to get if if you want like Strobel writes in, in a very journalistic way because yeah. he's a journalist, right? Um, and so he'll go and interview people and so on. And that's, that is such a great way to get information. Um, and then from a different approach, if you want just kind of a, a very simple um, systematic layout of, hey, how can we trust our New Testament? Um, then, I mean, there's a lot of good books to go to, but I, I might recommend as a starting point, Canon Revisited by Michael Kruger. Yep. And um, it's short. It's very clearly written. And it's just solidly backed. So Canon Revisited or pretty much anything by Michael Kruger. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. I mean, there's, uh, yeah. So, so the, there is, you know, the, the beautiful part of this, you don't have to be a Bible nerd to trust your Bible, but the nice thing is, is the science still works out. Yeah. Right. And, so, and the more you nerd out, the more confirmations you find. Exactly. So um, I would encourage you to do that. You know, I mean, you can, uh, most of these books, you, I bet you can find like on Audible or something like that and listen to them on the commute if mm-hmm. you've got a commute. You know, and listen to this podcast too, but yeah. <laughs> but take take some time to listen to those. They're really, really helpful and really, really, really good. And frankly, it's so comf- it's it's nice it, it's nice to have these things and realize no, my faith is reasonable. I always like that about like for example, classical apologetics. Mm-hmm. Faith is a reasonable thing. It we can hang yeah. in the intellectual arena. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So on to our fourth question and our first hour of the podcast. Um, how does Joe Church member? Know what ministry opportunities to say no to. That's a good question, man. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever say no. Just say yes to everything. Burn yourself out. That's my philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Probably shouldn't. No. No. I mean, so let's see. We got, we could hit this from the angle of spiritual gifts. We could hit this from the angle of wants versus needs. We could hit this from the angle of missional urgency. Uh, Let's start with spiritual gifts. How about that? Sounds good to me. Okay. You will have a certain set of spiritual gifts. Maybe, you know, and there's different takes on it. Maybe one gift, maybe a bundle of gifts, whatever. But what we're talking about when we say spiritual gifts is that thing that when you do that, God starts having fun, right? He, like, he just bears fruit in ways that you can't 
um, plan or induce or whatever. But you just know that when you do X, Y, and Z, God gets busy. For some people, it's uh, it's like First Peter 4, 10, and 11 will split this up into speaking gifts and serving gifts. So for some people, when they teach, the Bible just becomes clear to folks. Light bulbs go on more often than not, and it's fruitful. God does stuff when that person teaches the Bible. Um, when For some people, it's uh, evangelism, right? When that person goes and... Now, we should all be doing evangelism, but when that person goes and does it, there seems to be more divinely imposed effectiveness than when other people do. They're gifted evangelists. Some people, it's not speaking, it's serving. Yep. I, my favorite example is, uh, you know, one of our ladies around here is is spiritually gifted in terms of hospitality. In other words, people receive the love of Christ. They understand that God loves them by watching the hospitality that she puts in place here, uh, at, and specifically at the church building. There's other people that are gifted at this in their home. Somebody comes over to their house, like Matthew, they wind up getting saved, right? And so... Your spiritual gift, it could be scrubbing toilets. I don't. I mean, I don't know, right? We, we've heard people around here say, hey, the fact that you guys take care of your building, and I mean, it's, our building is not extravagant. It's a simple thing, but it's classy, you know? We got, we got building and grounds people that do their thing, decor people that do their thing, and they don't, they're not spending a ton of money. They're just taking care of stuff in a simple and loving way, and it shows, and we've had multiple people say, like, hey, the, it um, that shows your stewardship and your values, and I, I, I'm summarizing, but they'll say like new people at the church, I trust this church because I see that you guys are handling yeah. your your assets in a certain way, right? So spiritual gifting is that thing that when you do it, God seems to have fun. Yeah. So what do you say no to then? Well, you start with, what are you gifted at? Because you should be spending more time doing that, right? Yeah. And then everything else can kind of take a back seat. You can do it as you have opportunity, but only do what only you can do. So if you don't know your spiritual gifts, let's get that figured out first. Absolutely. And, I, and, 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 and even... When you when you are given those opportunities, sometimes you got to apply wisdom, right? And even even priority in your call, right? For for me, my first call, my 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 first call besides being you know faithful to the Lord, I know it is well, yeah, growing an awesome beard. No, That's, okay, no, 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 that that goes way way down <laughs> the line. Um, I I am called to be a husband, yep. right? My first my my first ministry is to my wife, and then. Very, very shortly underneath that, my our our ministry together is to our family, mm-hmm. right? So, so it does does the opportunity conflict with my primary ministry to my family, right? So that doesn't mean that I you you don't you don't make accommodations, right? For example, there's times where, like for example, you and I both will be leaving the country at some point, yeah, right? You you got to flex these things flex. in accordion rhythm. I get that, but to the expense of right. I mean, I know way too many pastors who who have have, you know, they have spent way too much time at, to the neglect of their families and their marriages fall apart mm-hmm. or their kids are, you know, that they are not managing their households well and they end up being disqualified, not necessarily because of a moral failure on their part, other than maybe not ne- neglecting neglect, their, fa- yeah. their family, but d- does this conflict with other priorities, right? Yeah. So now, that doesn't mean that maybe you can evaluate your priorities, you know, and, you know, and, well, and a lot of guys need to do yeah. that. Like men in particular hide behind their families. Yeah. I've noticed that when it's like, Hey, the Lord would have you do this. And it's pretty clear. And they're like, gosh, I'm just so busy. I got two kids. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to friggin' hear about how busy it is with two kids, you know? Well, so there's, there are guys that need to just take, there, there are guys that need to take an honest look at their time management. Yeah. Right. Or, and, and what does family mean? Does family mean, you know, your kids are involved in every soccer match? 
ever. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I mean, it, it, it's good questions. It's not not necessarily. I mean, so that's where you're applying wisdom, yeah. right? We get wisdom. Mm-hmm. That's what we want want guys to do. the The other side of it is is that you know, again, if family becomes this thing by which you can hide, well, wait a minute. What about bringing your kid? Yeah, with you. Absolutely. I mean, I brought my family uh, on short term ministry trips tons of times. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, that's actually a discipleship moment. Oh, you can time. disciple your kids in that. Well, way. and to get off of the, the family yeah. thing, there's other, there are other things that compete, right? So yeah. that's, that's kind of the, the most important one that you got to yep. look out for. Um, but like, I, I got to study in order to preach. Yep. Right. There are the, the work of the ministry is never done, right? I mean, the, mm-hmm. the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. There's always yeah. a trillion things to be doing, but sometimes I just got to like, I do this sometimes. I don't like doing it, but it's necessary. I shut my door and I pretend I'm not here. I park somewhere else. Yep. In fact, I don't mind saying this now. I used to have a secret code where I would park over at the grocery store next door, right? Mm-hmm. And I would like hide. And then people discovered that I was doing that. And they were like, oh, I see his car over there. He must be here. And I was worried that if people found out about that, they would just start knocking on my window, yeah. which still occasionally people do when they're like, you know, they know that I'm here. And it's like, it usually happens with drug addicts. They're like, I need money to get to Yakima. Bum, 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 bum. And I'm like, take the hint, bro. I'm parked at Yokes. I'm studying. Like, you know. Yeah. But most people now, when they see my car at Yokes, they're like, oh, he's he's got his head in a book. We're not gonna, you know, we're not yeah. gonna bug him. So it's kind of a code around here, right? Yeah. But um there there are times, and I don't I don't like doing that. I don't like shutting my door. Mm-hmm. I love having an open door. People can yep. just, you know, walk in and we can do it. But there are times where it's like, I that would be a good thing to do, yeah. but only I can do this. Nobody can study for me. So I yep. gotta say no to a lot of ministry yeah. opportunities in order to say yes yeah. to the one that only I can do right now. Yeah, and and even think about ministry opportunities that might provide for more multiplication. Yep. Right. So for example Strategically, yeah. again, we're gonna be going out somewhere where we can help train other pastors because we are pastors mm-hmm. and we can bring a pastoral approach to theology, things like that. Yes, they can probably watch a video somewhere, but to get face-to-face with somebody who's been in the trenches... Great commission work. Talk about, yeah, you're, you're equipping others to do the faithful work, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a Second Timothy 2.2 thing. Huge. That's so, actually our theme verse at World yeah, Hope. If you can... Then, then you know that that's where you evaluate various opportunities, right? You it can can you it does it does it have multiplicative effects mm-hmm. for the for the for the mission? Absolutely, right? And that's and that's where we go. Like you and I will teach various classes, like you know, like Fight Club or Gospel mm-hmm. Growth and something like that, right? And I there's there's a, a huge investment of time in that. Why? Because the end result of those is disciples who are following faithfully and then making more yeah. disciples. Yep. Jesus invested in, in 11 dudes and a heretic. Yeah. Right? That was his strategy. Yeah, for three years. Yeah. Discipleship is, I think it was Jared Wilson that said it, discipleship is incredibly inefficient, right? Absolutely. But it's also extremely strategic. Yes. And so, yeah, think about the, think about the likely effects of it and then say yes to some things, no to others. I'll also say this. Risk it. Yep. Like be willing to, to waste a little bit of time. It's mm-hmm. okay, you know, and, and pivot when you need to, but take some opportunities that you're not sure if you should take. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, of course, the first place my mind goes is either short-term mission trips or, uh, you know, teaching a class, leading a devotion, yep. something like that. It's like, well, I don't know if I should do that. Well, the risk is pretty low. I mean, yeah. what are you going to do if you go on a, on a mission trip? You can, what if you're wrong and you shouldn't have gone there? Okay. Okay. You took a week off of work. And you feel like you, you know, you could have been more obedient with that time. Fine. God will have the calendar come around next year. And now, you know, I don't really think that's going to happen, but you know, oh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm called as a teacher, but my pastor's asking me to lead this barbecue Bible study devotion. Just do it. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? You know? I mean, let's also leave room for the sovereignty of God, right? In other words, take, take the risk. And if, if maybe God wants you to learn something and it is not success, maybe Mm -hmm. it is failure. Learn from it. 
Yeah. You know, and that's, and, and, and I, I was, I remember telling this to a couple guys that, um, that were concerned about various ministry opportunities. I said, look, don't be afraid of failure. Yeah. Okay. God may be actually be teaching you something through this to make you a better, whatever, pastor, teacher, counselor, yeah. whatever. Don't be afraid of failure. I mean, I'm not saying intentionally go out to fail. Right. But even when like, um, one of my favorite profs at, um, at Multnomah Bible College when I was there, Rex Coivisto, shout out if you're even alive now, brother. But Rex man, what? Rex Coivisto. That is the coolest name I've Dude, heard in a long time. He was awesome. But he, but in, in learning language, he would say sin boldly. In other words, yeah. just do it. And you learn it, you, you acquire it, you get corrected, mm-hmm. and it works. In the same way when it comes to ministry opportunities, don't be afraid of the scary ones, right? Mm-hmm. Like evangelism. Don't be afraid. Screw right? it up. Yeah. Get the door slammed in your face, you know, choke on your tongue, like whatever. It, it happens, yeah. and you realize you're not made out of glass, and yeah. it's okay. I got a buddy that says, uh, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. <laughs> you know? In other words, like, if, if it needs to get done, like, a yeah. lot of people feel a lot of pressure, especially, I think it's probably more so in, in our industrial culture, mm-hmm. because we're, we're based on production, right? And, yep. and metrics and evaluation and stuff. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. In a lo- that's good in a lot of ways. But it can hold us back from some things where it's like, I just don't think I'm going to do a good job at it. And it's like, that's yeah. actually not really, like, nobody asked you. Yeah. You know, just do it. Well, an interesting part about that, and, and, I'll, and I'm, I'm going to quote, he is not my favorite theologian, although he, does, he did make great um, technological products. Andy Stanley. Nope, Steve Jobs. Oh. He said, great artists ship. In other words, they get it done. Oh. Uh-huh. You know, and it's like, you can, always, you can always let good or, you can always let better or best be the enemy of good. In the uh, sense of, we're just you, reading leadership books now. Well, I know. I'm. Sorry. No, it's true. No, but, I mean, I, I crack that joke to say that like these are principles that we all know. Yeah. Right. But when we when we take them into um, the spiritual space, we feel like we're letting God down if we do yeah. something wrong. But that logic doesn't apply anywhere else in life, well, and this is just life, guys. And, and and going back to the spiritual gifts, trust the Lord if He's given His Spirit and He's in there. Whatever ministry opportunity is, maybe it's like I look. I'm tip, I'm petrified of five year olds. I'm not, but you know, like hypothetically, if if you're hypothetically petrified of five-year-olds still get in there and see what it's like. And maybe the Lord actually, maybe those, especially my dear brothers. Okay. I'm going to say this men, right? Those, those little eyeballs look at you and they see that you're excited about Jesus. You want that. Yeah. We want that as your pastor. We want kids to go grown men like this whole Jesus thing. Yep. It's not just about you know, I'm gonna be like that, yeah, yeah, and and give God a chance to surprise you, absolutely. You know, like it, it is so funny, man. Well, okay, personal testimony. I did not want to be a pastor. My dad was like, "Oh, you got to be a pastor when you grow up, or a teacher, or something." And I'm like, "No, not even a little bit." Am I thinking about it? No. And then I taught a thing at a uh, uh, in a wanna retreat for the high schoolers, and I was just like. OM goodness, God just did something there, and this does not look like a one-time thing to me. Mm-hmm. And I got called to ministry. Yeah. Bam. I never saw that coming. But yeah. somebody threw me into it because, you know, the actually what happened was the uh, the guy that was supposed to teach his car broke down and he didn't show up, and they were like, hey, Dustin, you're 19. Uh, you're, you're, cl- you're close to these guys' age. They'll listen to you. So you got an hour to prep a lesson, teach them something from the Bible. And I'm just like, great. Like, what could go wrong, you know? And But it was fruitful, and I was just yeah. like, okay. So God surprised me in something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember, like, I, for the longest time, I was petrified of evangelism, totally terrified about getting the door slammed in my face or whatever, right? And then, and then when I, you know, 
went through some things um, just personally and praying for more evangelism opportunities and God all of a sudden started giving them. I started memorizing scripture so that I could share the gospel without having to fumble through, you know, my Bible or anything like that. Um, I actually got turned on to a really good program. Shout out Two Ways to Live from Matthias Media. It's a great little uh, basically, it shares the gospel through six simple pictures and six Bible verses that you memorize. Yeah, we talked Amazing. about that one in yeah. the uh... in the event. This that is, really hurt. Okay, this is right. Ah, you going. gonna be okay? Do I need to get a like a you know suture band aid? Hazard pay for this. I'm just, <laughs> I don't get paid for this podcast at all, but I'm about to start. Like we need a, yeah. we need a uh, an OSHA department. Yeah, don't hit the equipment, please. Um, so <laughs> so you get yeah, and then all of a sudden the Lord started providing these opportunities, and I started taking them, and I was like, okay, a this wasn't as scary as I thought it was. Yeah, and B, all of a sudden I'm starting to see fruit. People saying, yeah, I'm more interested. Really. Huh. Well, and then and then all of a sudden, and this is where it goes always back to when I asked that that famous question I was asking. You know, so, can I tell you a little bit more about you know Jesus and the good news about Jesus? Have you ever heard of that? And they go, No, I'd like to know. And I'm like shocked. It, does, it, yeah, it just seems that the Lord just kind of was opening those opportunities and opening those ears at that moment. Mm-hmm. Don't discount that. Don't discount even just going in where you're afraid and and watch the Lord do what He does. Yeah, man. And then yeah. and then you get to and honestly, it makes worship that much sweeter. It's amazing. You're like, really this is the God who actually does work. Yeah, it's like me. okay, so God just engaged me. I'm gonna go engage Him. Yeah. Right? Listen, guys, Jesus deserves disciples. Amen. So go be one. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app. I didn't, I didn't know I had a funny bone in my knuckle. <laughs> Sorry. We love him because he first loved us. <laughs>